Victor Dandridge, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm good, Dirk Manning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Hey, did you hear that uh, Adrian has issues? Yo, he's got a lot of issues. That is what I've heard. I've heard that his issues are amazing as they are numerous. Wide, yes, numerous, far-reaching. Far-reaching. He has a plethora of issues. Oh, snap. A multitude. A multitude. A spectrum of issues. A myriad of issues? You're reaching you're deep. But, you know, listen, we can talk about Adrian's issues all day. True. But the fact of the matter is Adrian has issues. Right. And now... Everyone out there, thanks to you, Victor Dandridge. To me? What about to you, Dirk Manning? Now everyone else can experience Adrian's issues. Isn't that great? That's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So, you know, why, why don't we quit talking and then people can experience Adrian and his issues because I've heard that Adrian has, has issues. He does have issues. So, Dirk Manning, you're going to get off this? I think I will, Victor Dandridge. Let's allow people to get to Adrian. Let's talk to Adrian then. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and today I'm sitting down with somebody who I've met quite a while ago, and it took us a while to get together, but I think it finally worked out. I'm super excited about today's guest. He is an artist and the co-creator of the really awesome webcomic City of Walls and the founder of Standalone Productions. Everybody give it up for AK Loveless. AK, how's it going, man? Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing all right. How's everything on your end? I'm doing pretty good, man. It's working hard. <laughs> <laughs> now, just to give everybody a little bit of backstory, we had met, if I'm not mistaken, that was Special Edition NYC, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, it was Special Edition. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I just found out that they're not doing it this year, and to tell you the truth, that was a little kind of heartbreaking for me to find out, because I really enjoyed that show a lot. Yeah, they killed the show. I don't know, man. They stepped on a lot of people's toes, I guess, so I don't know. I'm sad to see it go because it had a lot of potential. It really did. And the reason why I loved it, though, is that, and not that New York Comic Con isn't a great show. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoy it. Absolutely. And if you're looking for a larger convention on the East Coast, it, it was a good time. However, you know, let's be real, though, with all the things going on, especially with, like, you know, the celebrities and, like, these big events, I always sort of feel bad that, you know, the more small press and especially, like, Artist Alley and things like that, have a tendency to kind of get overshadowed. Yeah, yeah. So what was cool about Special Edition is I feel like it gave them the attention that is very much deserved, very overdue. So that way, you know, it was a small show in like one small area, and I got to meet so many people whom possibly in the shuffle of near Comic Con I would have possibly overlooked the first time. So it was really cool meeting you at last year's event. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's like you said, you know, the. New York Comic Con is such a entity at this point, you know. Sometimes the comics get lost in it, and um, special edition focused on the comics, and that was uh, I, I totally I know what you're saying. I agree with you about that. So that was really cool. It's a, you know, it's a sad thing. It was during the summer too, perfect time to have a convention. Right. I don't know. Hopefully, uh, you know, they have a change of heart. Maybe bring it back next year. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, and I think that's going to be one of those things where maybe if people voice their opinion, just be like, hey, you know, we really appreciate the show. And even if it's not necessarily under the same name as was before, but it still has its place in the industry. 
Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Change of venues around the same time, though. You know, whatever. That'd be cool. Oh, definitely. I absolutely agree with that. Hopefully, you know, hopefully, like you said, hopefully enough people uh, voice their opinion like that and uh, have a change of heart on it. Because it was weird the way that they cut it off, too. They didn't even really, uh, <laughs> they didn't really even announce it. Yeah, and that was the crazy part. <laughs> Everybody that knows about it knows because, you know, they know a guy that knows a guy. And that's how I found <laughs> out. And I felt bad. I mean, I wanted it was cool. So I'm like, oh, shoot, I got some inside info. But I was like, damn, like, I was really hoping that somebody would have said something because I'm already sitting here like middle of May saying, wait a minute, have they announced special edition yet? Yeah, exactly. Like, just like a thief in the night, man. You know, just. <laughs> oh, boy. So before we get further, let's get to your backstory a little bit. So you've been an artist now, and I guess what I'm basically getting at is, how did you get your start? I, I went to public college, uh, public school rather, and uh, went to visual arts. And uh, after I got out of there, I guess I got lucky in a couple of ways. There was no real special technique on my end. The reason I'm, I'm sorry if I'm like, <laughs> I'm no, cool. a little bit because I'm trying to really think. There was no real special boom kind of moment. It was really uh, just a a step-by-step little things here, little things there, and then they kind of just all built on itself, you know? All right, that's pretty cool. But to tell you the truth, though, I got to respect that. And sometimes it just works out that way, and maybe it's actually better off that it works that way, you know? it's not. Maybe it's better than the story of, you know, I had to necessarily work so hard, and, you know, after so many, you know, failed attempts and having to struggle, maybe it's just better that it just rolls off like that. Well, I mean, don't get it twisted. Like, I worked very hard. Like, there was, there was a lot of... It was really hard. One <laughs> thing absolutely clear. But um, I've I've been around a, a lot of people that have like the magical event, like oh, I was at a bar and blah blah blah. I was at a bar and we had beers together. And next thing I know, I'm doing covers. Like it wasn't anything like that. For me, it was just just real step by step. But like I had a couple of like real blessings along the way. I did an internship at Marvel while I was in college, and uh, while I was there, I met Mark Morales quite incidentally. Because I decided to walk into a particular area of the office at a time he was there. And um, that led to me uh, basically apprenticing under him. That just changed everything about me. Like me personally, uh, not even talking about the specific business aspect of it, but me as an artist and a professional artist, that was a, a real fundamental paradigm shift on my end of things. I can't imagine what that's like when you meet somebody who's, you know, maybe at that level. And I, I guess in a way, it really does sort of elevate your status. And not just in a matter of, oh, hey, I know this person. But yeah, it, I think it almost makes you work that much harder once you're working under somebody who's already sort of been there. It was definitely eye opening. Like one of the things that I find uh, really fascinating and kind of humorous about the development with comic books and I guess art in general is that you have these incremental steps where. You start off so ignorant, <laughs> for lack of a better term. You start off so ignorant about everything. I mean, I was watching a documentary and like real famous artists was talking about how this moment he was studying some other amazing artists, basically. And he was studying them so hard that he was looking at the covers and he's like, oh, I figured it out. The, the, the paintings are made of little dots. And it's like. You know, he was a kid, so which is just an insane, ignorant interpretation of like <laughs> how this thing that you love so much is made. But you know, you just didn't know. Right. One of the things I think the young generation has going for them is that there's like so much stuff. Like it's so easy to 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 learn about how to do stuff or 
to know that there is a venue for doing stuff that there wasn't when well, we were younger. Right. You know? I'm only 31, and I learned more in comics in the last three years than I did in my entire lifetime reading them. And it's cool because you're right, like, even now, like, there's still so many changes that are made. And I think it's for the better, Mm -hmm. because I think for a long time for people, to me, it almost felt a little, like, impossible. Because I remember as a kid, I had aspirations of getting into comics, and I used to think to myself, man, like, you've got to be, you know, some sort of billionaire to really get into it. But yet, there's so many people who are just starting up their own companies and working on their own books that i didn't think really happened a long time ago yeah i mean the playing field has been leveled on some basic economical terms to such a degree that i think it's just opened the floodgates you know so many people have access to the internet so many people can afford a wacom tablet so many people can afford photoshop illustrator you know all of these pieces that you know back in the day It was like you sitting there staring at the page so hard that you see the dots that the printer was spitting out and thinking (laughs) that that's how they actually made this thing. And it's not right. You know, somebody drew it and then somebody inked it and then somebody else might have colored it and then somebody else might have lettered it by hand. You know, all that stuff has been economized to such a level that like so many people with enthusiasm and talent can get their fingers on it. And then from that point, you know, it kind of just does its own thing, I guess. While the tools themselves are a little bit easier to access, you still kind of have to do the legwork, you know, and that's the part that, you know, maybe is not necessarily hurt a lot. But I think that's something that I think is more important that, yes, it is easier for people to get like, let's say, illustrating programs, things like that. But you still really have to work at the craft itself. Like you don't automatically pick up a guitar and then start playing like Hendrix. Yeah, you're not nice just because you got the toy. That's not that's not what it is. At what point then did you decide to start standalone productions? Or was that always in the making when you started uh, interning for comics? Ah, man, like that was just something that popped up. Basically, it was just like all a process. So like, you know, I started um, working under Mark and like going back to one thing you had mentioned real quick before, you know, I was actually handling original comic book pages and working on them for like the first time in my life. That was a real eye-opening and, like, kind of shifting experience right there. Like, oh, you know, you automatically, like you said, you become more responsible just by nature of the, you know, this is not a joke here. You can't be screwing up just out of (laughs) incompetence and stupidity. Right. I mean this in the most positive way. It demystified it. Those images on that page stopped being tiny dots. Right. They started like, oh, wow, this is what it actually looks like. Oh, and they have to like, oh, how the hell do you fucking scan this in and shrink it down? <laughs> and, you know, like all that type of stuff. And then it was really cool. Like, and you, you learn like, oh, okay. And, you know, like the wide shot scanner is like a hundred bucks now, 150 bucks now. 10 to 15 years ago, it was like three grand. No way. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's a big deal, you know. <laughs> that is a very big deal. I mean, shoot, I didn't even know they went for that much. Again, like I said, I'm always learning a little bit more of the process, and I think that's kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah, but standalone productions, it was more of a necessity, I guess. I, I decided that I wanted to produce a product, and I needed some sort of house for that product to live in, you know. I wanted to make this comic. I wanted to tell this story. And I needed it needed to be put out by somebody. Who was it going to be published by? <laughs> so that's why I started standalone production. Is that around a time within when you met Sean and started working on City of Walls? Oh no, that was actually after that. Uh, it was before City of Walls because I, I formed it for City of Walls, but I had known Sean for a while even before that. 
me and Sean met at uh, uh, <laughs> we both worked at Wizard World for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to get your start somewhere. Hey, no, it was fun, man. I had a great time. So, we we guys just like artists there, or were you actually like volunteers, like working the event? No, no, no. Wizard World, the website. Oh, okay. I'm when I'm. It's funny. I'm thinking Wizard World. I'm automatically just thinking like the convention. Yeah. Nah. I almost forgot about Wizard like way back when. Man, like. <laughs> yeah, pe- yeah, people forget, man. The magazine and all that. Yeah. I should have known that. It's like I read that religiously because for a very long time that was like the comic book bible. It was the book about comic books. <laughs> it really was, and that. <laughs> And if you got in Wizard, I'll never forget it. That was like the inside information because not only did they tell you about all the you know new stuff that was coming out, the movies, and then you know in the back they used to have like the pricing guide. So when I started actually working at a comic book store, yeah. you know I used to look at the back of that for the longest time and thinking, oh man, I had all these books and I was gonna sell them. But then next you know you start flipping through. Okay, what edition do I have? Like oh this is the fourth edition. Like I'm not making anything off this. Oh man, and those decisions definitely changed it industry too so yeah you know it's arguable that it was positive it was negative but that's what it was that's where it all happened and man i completely forgot about it has it been that long or am i just completely removed now Uh, i don't know i think the amount of change that has happened in the span of time that it's happened in is just completely unprecedented (laughs) i don't want to sound like too mean to sound too esoteric about it but it's just just the things that are happening right now have never happened before like mankind has never had as much access as easy and as much access to as much information as it does now and we're doing things that no one's ever experienced before so i don't think it's as weird as it probably feels it definitely feels weird because like jesus christ i remember when portable phones were a big deal like portable what (laughs) these kids don't even know what a portable phone is like what are you talking about a smartphone (laughs) (laughs) oh don't even get me started like we still have one of like the early cell phones and the thing as what like they called it a boondock so it was like a cordless pay phone (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that thing, you could probably hit somebody with it and just end it because it was just that big. It was a brick. <laughs> it was a brick. A cancer emitting brick. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to now name this episode <laughs> the, the cancer emitting brick. <laughs> no one will know what we're talking about, but it's just, you're right. And it's sad that we actually use those things. And then, you know, phones got smaller and got more portable. Then you're seeing this, hey, these are cool. But now they're just going the opposite direction where they're getting big again. And it's just, I, pretty soon, I guarantee you, within another year, someone's going to make a smartphone that's going to resemble the old cell phones, like the giant brick again. It's going to happen. Someone is going to get really rich and really nostalgic. And watch, it's going to happen. Yep. Make a whole lot of money real quick for a short period of time. Oh, you kidding me? I'll, I'd be the first one to buy it just to say, like... <laughs> No, definitely, man. It's 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 wild, but yeah, but you see, like I, I I don't really, me personally, that's that's not my thing, man. Like I I lived through that era of the big portable phones and all that other nonsense, and it's like the idea of getting a bigger cell phone to me is kind of crazy. Person. <laughs> like i have like a galaxy s5 and right now i still feel like that that's too big for my pockets yeah man like you can't wear anything like either shorts without it feeling like way down and it's crazy and i dropped it down a flight of stairs like i kid you not like all the way down a flight of stairs nothing happened to it oh, i dropped man. it 
in my bedroom that's carpeted and there's a giant crack in the middle of the screen. So go figure. <laughs> hey, I mean, it works, right? <laughs> Say what you will about those old bricks, though, but they held up. Yeah, yeah, well, they're waterproof now, apparently. You're absolutely right about that because the technology changed. It then, I think, in a way, forced us to sort of rethink comics and how they're presented. There's a lot of pluses, but there's also a lot of minuses because I think from maybe a business standpoint, I don't know if you would necessarily agree that maybe it's a little bit, I shouldn't say difficult, but it's a little bit more different in terms of how they're marketed. Oh, Because, I mean, as someone who works on a webcomic, I'm sure that it's a little bit different to market that than you would necessarily a, like, monthly floppy. Man, the, the whole web thing is just different, which is, I actually have been really enjoying. It's a different thing. It's not like the printed media. Really? It doesn't work the same way from a marketing standpoint or from an actual storytelling standpoint or experience standpoint. Because like for the the format that I'm working with at Webtoon, it's like a scroll. You know, it's like each episode is a scroll and it allows me to do things that I can't actually do in the book. Almost like camera movements. Really? Yeah, because like so okay, so you know, let's say in the book I have a headshot, you know, of just a character doing something. Right. You know, you know, a headshot of uh, of Ariana pissed off, you know, or whatever. And in the book, it's that shot, and then it's the next panel. You know what I'm saying? In Webtoon, it allows me to take that shot, and maybe I can do another close-up on her eyes and do a hold there. It allows me to take images and manipulate them in a way that doesn't work in print, because in print, you know, whatever's printed is printed. That's it. My friend who used to be my co-host on our old show, he was very big into webcomics. And it was funny because it almost felt like something like a buddy cop movie where I was like the old veteran, you know, close to retirement. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it basically felt like a lethal weapon where, you know, I was, you know, the old stodgy, you know, set in the old ways. You know, I'd read my comics. I'd get them every month at my local shop, bagged and boarded, ready to go. And here comes like this, you know, crazy nut job who, you know, talks <laughs> web comics and things like that. And I, I remember when we very first started hanging out and I was like, why the hell would you run to read a comic on your computer when you got it right here in your hand? And it wasn't until, you know, hanging out with him that I realized like, oh man, there's this whole other world that I didn't know about. That's the thing about it is that it's just different. It's not better, you know, it's just right. different because even what I do with City of Walls on Webtoon is different than what, say, Comixology does. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are probably an infinite amount of ways to present a comic book in a web format. I guess that's true. You know? So you have guys that the, the page scrolls like a page. Right. You know? And you have other people that it, it scrolls like a page, but it zooms in. And then it cuts to the next panel. And that's the thing. Nobody really knows what they're doing. Everybody is just trying stuff right now. And that's actually pretty cool. It's kind of, a, I should say it's a completely different world, but it's definitely a different experience. There are people who do webcomics exclusively, and yet they have like these big fan bases that, in a way, they may not have had if they just did traditional hard copy books. Absolutely. I mean, it's different. You know, it's a different, it has a different means of communication. Because if you have a webcomic and you have a webcomic following, so you already have a large portion of people that are used to interacting with you via their computer, their laptop, maybe even their phone or their iPad or their tablet, whatever. 
you're used to probably spending, especially if you're the type of webcomic producer that produces your webcomic on a laptop, then you're already on the computer. So now you introduce something like Skype or some Google program or something that allows you to broadcast what you're doing while you're doing it. You're some screen share thing, you know, and you allow people that like your stuff to, to, to watch you doing that. You know, it, it, it's, it's a completely different way of interacting. City of Walls, that book is weekly, correct? Yeah, yeah, like we do weekly episodes. Does that necessarily change the structure? Because it's not like you're doing a monthly comic. Yeah, it does because, you know, obviously each episode isn't a whole book or a whole volume. You know, it's a portion of each one. And uh, we pace it out, you know. And, and that's another, like I said, that's another thing about it that is really cool because I, it allows me to really change the structure of the pacing of the story, basically. Because I'm cutting it up, you know, I'm cutting up each book and then, you know, uh, telling it through the Webtoon format, you know, that's City of War. So it's really a different experience to the, the printed version of the book. <laughs> Which, and I love how like we've been talking around it so much, but I guess we should probably should get into what City of Walls is actually about. So I don't know if you have like a little elevator pitch in mind for anyone who may be listening, but, you know, please tell everybody what City of Walls is about. City of Wolves is basically the journey of three kids in this ghetto metropolis, which is basically a labyrinth of conjoined buildings, alleyways, rooftops, and hallways. All of it is uh, run by gangs, triads, and uh, it has mountains on one side and a desert on the back. So once you're in, you're really in. These three kids decide to run away, and they're willing to risk their lives to do so. And you kind of follow their journey. I had picked up the first volume uh, when I met you at Special Edition, and matter of fact, I think I had picked up a print too. Um, if that was taken, that was Ariana, right? Probably, yeah. It's really cool artwork, and I'm a huge fan of the style. And it's cool because it's very much like I don't know if it's intentional though, but it's very steeped in a little bit of anime, and it's just something that's really cool about that. People feel funny about some of that type of stuff, but uh, I don't have any problem with that at all. I'm a big anime fan. So am I, and I thought I was a big anime fan until I met my girlfriend, and she's dancing circles around me, but I always enjoy stories that have that influence in it, like, very steeped in, like, you know, anime and manga, so that's really cool. So, City of Walls itself, where did you get the inspiration for that story? Was it, Did it come from a particular place, or was it an idea you had kicking around for a while? Um, it, it was basically an idea that I had, like, I had this very, very basic concept that for whatever reason I was tooling with in my mind about uh, people living in malls, basically. Just because I, I found that malls were becoming so bizarrely all-encompassing, like the only thing the mall is missing is living accommodations. You know, and which is a horrible idea, you know. Like, I don't it's kind of terrible, but... <laughs> but it's going to happen. But anyway, um, so uh, that's, that's where I started. And one day I had a just... Basically, random conversation with a friend of mine, and I kind of told him about this idea with this concept I was tooling around with. And he told me, like, oh, yeah, there's, you know, there's a place that did that for real. I was like, oh, word. He's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he broke it down for me. He told me about this place called Kowloon. I was like, oh, wow, okay. So once those two things met, that's kind of where the whole thing kind of took off. Because it's sort of like a dystopia, you know, and any of those stories, there's always sort of that disconnect between, you know, sort of the haves and the have nots. 
Yeah. And that part really resonated because, you know, you have people who are pretty much living in the streets and then you have these elites who are in like, you know, high rises and and these seats of power and a story like that. And I think it's insanely relevant, but it's also a little frightening because it's so relevant that, you know, we're in a place where we can see a lot more of that happening in a real life setting now. Like it's no longer just science fiction. It's close to being science fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it's always been the same thing. I mean, that's just my personal thing on it. I think that's just a natural bent that me and Sean have. There's just a kind of gritty ruthlessness society. Now, does that necessarily come from just or how you grew up or just, you know, because uh, I'm sure it necessarily has to come from someplace. You know, I, ultimately, it comes from everything. It comes from, I mean, and I'm just, I can only speak for the visual and the visual aspect of it and some of the conceptual aspects of it. Yeah, I guess it comes from all those things. It it comes from movies that I watched. It comes from things that I've seen, you know, people that I've known, stuff that's happened. And then, you know, I guess it, it comes from my, my personal reactions to it, uh, you know. So there's there's a violence to it, which I guess is definitely part of my... <laughs> definitely part of my history on some bizarre level. Not in an obvious way, though. So it colors the whole thing. And it's kind of like a palette, I guess. It's surprisingly gritty. Like, you know, and I've read plenty of stories like that before. But yet there's parts of it that are just not in an overly graphic way, but it's definitely brutally honest. Like, it doesn't dance around the fact that these kids, like, they're really living in a, a pretty terrible place. Yeah, the, the thing about it that I was really important that I convey, I think Sean would agree with me, was... um being a child and growing up in this environment, like, okay, what really happens? How does a child really process this? And I mean, you know, there's this, and ultimately this is uh fiction, but there's nothing. I mean, I would hope. And that seems to be, that. Was, that's one of the reactions that we often get is that it does, it really does, I guess, uh, pivot to a lot of real life situations that are happening like right now where you, you know, you wouldn't believe that it's 2016 and we have iPods and little touch devices, all the creatures that we got with the way that some people are out there living right now. You know, but uh, if you're a kid and you're walking your friend home and you happen upon basically a public execution, you know, that's gonna affect you. No, but you're right. And it's just kind of like there's no other way to put it. Like there's there's stuff and thank God, you know, we didn't necessarily see too much of that, you know, on a base level. But even just from like let's say just the T V shows we watch, because, you know, I, I watched a lot of stuff, especially like, you know, action movie stuff that I maybe looking back, I probably should not have. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you don't really realize it until much later that like, oh, man, like that really kind of affected me in a sort of way. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I'm an 80s baby, man. So oh, I, yeah. Same here. So you probably watched all the same stuff I watched. Era of the action movie. Like you were talking about Lethal Weapon. So I know all uh -huh. about that, man. That was one of my <laughs> early childhood experiences with Lethal Weapon 2. Oh, man. Between that and, like, the first Die Hard, it's like, I think these are probably the movies that shaped me way too much. Die Hard and Predator and, uh. <laughs> oh, Predator was great. On and on. Aliens. <laughs> no, it was just, it was, it was a time. It's funny that they, they don't seem to really have that in movies now. Like, 
that seems to be lacking in movies, kind of, where we had those eras where, like, you'd have this one cat that was just dominated the era. He was the dude. Right. Like, Schwarzenegger was the dude. He ran the show. For like a five or six year stretch, he ran the show. Like, yo. Almost longer than that, though, because, like, let's see, first Terminator was what, 82, 83? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's back there, man. <laughs> I mean, for a while, he ran that up until like early to mid 90s, roughly around the time, I think, whenever the one where he, like, the one where he had started having like the kids, and it's like, or Kindergarten Cop, I would think, is kind of where it started to get kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's when just the, they were making so much money that, like, nobody cared. Right. And it's like, what am I going to do now? Like, I've already shot pretty much everybody in the known world. What is there left to do but take care of a bunch of bratty kids in a school? <laughs> they were laughing themselves stupid from the amount of money they were making at that point. Oh, a ridiculous amount of money. Like, it's nuts. Kindergarten Cop. Oh, and the worst part was my best friend and I watched the uh, the second one on Netflix. Oh, Lord. Lord have mercy. They did another one with Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> That's, see, you see, and I, don't, I don't have anything to say about that. And that one, it was really sad because, like, at least with Schwarzenegger did it, you know, it's like, there's nothing else to do. Like I said, it was a paycheck. But then that one, and it's like, I'm sure Dolph doesn't want to be here. <laughs> but yeah, it's like between Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and Willis. I mean, I pretty much watch, oh, Mel Gibson too. Like, most of my childhood icons owned an M16 and gunned down half the entire world so no give gave me lethal weapon and mad max that's all i have to say about that and that's why you know when everything went down i don't know it was, it was i was heartbroken and not even the for the reasoning that i probably should have been it wasn't even like, <laughs> like oh, oh man. <laughs> and yeah, it's like Mel gibson said what <laughs> it's like it's like yeah that hurt and believe me like and the sad part is i've had that said to me quite a few times in my life i was less worried about that i was like damn we're not gonna get a lethal weapon five are we <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh shoot but yeah that was my era yeah man conan the barbarian was like one of my formative youth experiences <laughs> and that movie almost got rated x for violence <laughs> so the amount of violence and nudity alone i mean god damn it's amazing <laughs> but the thing about it is like it wasn't like i was unique in that respect all the cats that i grew up with they saw conan too like we saw jaws and all that craziness you know we talk about it at school <laughs> you know cujo <laughs> alligator oh man all that stuff. i don't think i ever finished cujo that movie just freaked me out because i was already kind of half afraid of dogs yeah cujo did for dogs what jaws did for sharks for a lot of people i feel <laughs> cujo is a cujo mess you up man i saw that movie way too young it definitely had an effect on me oh man that scene where she gets caught while she's running to the car, I, man, I'll have those images in my head probably for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm sorry. There were bits of that movie like Jaws was messed up. And yeah, it's like, you know, you're kind of afraid to go out into the water. But ultimately, like, I think in the back of my head, I knew this shark is fake. This is, <laughs> you know, ro a puppet or a robot. It's something. But yet yeah, Cujo was a little too real. Yeah, yeah. Cujo's, uh, that was a brutal movie. <laughs> and that's a movie you could just not do now like i think the closest they got was what was that one was a man's best friend yeah they tried with man's best friend but it had that 90s flair <laughs> 90s flair can be great in a lot of ways but you know it's still you're right it has that sheen on it yeah yeah 
yeah, but it was it's just not the same. Nineties has its own thing. It doesn't need to try to be something that's not. Well, what I love about 80s movies, especially when it comes to, like, sci-fi, like, there was always, like, a weird horror bent to everything, especially with sci-fi. It wasn't just enough to see spaceships, but they were, like, you know, you're watching people, you know, dying of suffocation or, you know, when, like, an alien was spit on somebody, like, you're seeing, like, their faces get melted away from the acid and... They just did not shy away from anything. And it was cool because it was all practical effects. Yeah. And it was very little in the way of like computer animation. So everything just looked that much realer. I mean, because you got to figure it's following the 80s, which is just excess. It, it really is the decade of excess, even in the movies, because you just got craziness, like a crazy spree of horror movies, a crazy spree of action movies, just War movies, just war for war's sake, like missing in action. One, two, three, Delta Force. One, two, three, four, five, six. You know, it's just crazy. And then you have the 90s. You know, the industry's kind of lived through all of that. But now it has, A, more money and, B, better technology. Right. So now it's going to try that. Shit, this is the way we wish we – this is the way we wanted to do it the first time. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's way how that. I think that's how that pops up. What was that one movie, the Cronenberg one, Videodrome? Oh man! Why? Why did I watch that as a kid? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I feel like I did it to myself because I. You know, especially when we had, like, cable, like, you know, H was, I don't know if it was, like, HBO or Movie Channel, one of those premium stations. So, of course, it's, like, that was the thing to stay up and sneak into the room and, like, watch all these movies. And, like, oh, man, because you get to see all the stuff that you're not going to watch with your parents or whatever. So, like, oh, this is great until something comes on that you know you shouldn't have seen. And you're not going to tell anybody that you watched it because then you're going to get in trouble. And, oh, my childhood was, I think I deliberately ruined my own childhood. <laughs> Because oh, uh, I, I can't know. blame anybody else but me. Oh man, it, it, I don't know. I, at some point in time, like, I actually, I guess it's, it, it, it comes from my father. Like, that was one of the things me and my pop did. We watched a lot of. He put me onto the movies and just let me rock. Right. Once he saw that I could handle it and I wasn't gonna be an issue, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna be one of those troubled kids because it's saw a rated R movie or something like that. Yeah, he let me rock after that. Oh man, we watched a lot of rated R movies, and I feel bad. Like I feel like I didn't start watching kids movies until I was what six or seven. <laughs> I mean, well, that was the thing. I watched everything. I watched the kids movies. I watched the rated R movies. It just didn't even matter. I mean, even if the, I mean, you gotta think, man. Freaking Indiana Jones, somebody gets the their heart ripped out. Oh yeah, and that's a, <laughs> that's my favorite one. <laughs> I'm a little kid. I'm watching somebody get their heart ripped out and shown to them. <laughs> After which they're lowered into a pit of lava. <laughs> you know, and that movie wasn't rated R. You know, so I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You have you have shots of people getting shot in the head, point blank range. Like yeah, you know, and that's a family movie. Those faces melt off, actually, <laughs> as you mentioned earlier, you know? So. Oh, shoot. But I just, I I guess you're right. It is a different time, but at the same time, I know that if I even was one of those kids that kind of acted out, like, you know, after watching that stuff, you know, that would have been my ass, so... Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we kind of had that understanding, like, you know what, like, this stuff is crazy, but, you know, you have to know that it's fake or whatever. Like, this isn't necessarily real life. I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it now, because I, I'll tell you this. The one time that I really felt bad about the rating thing 
Now, at this point, I'm not even a kid anymore. At this point, I've been watching rated R movies. At this point, I'm, uh, I guess, 17, 18. So I've been watching rated R movies for over 10 years. Right. It didn't mean anything for me to, <laughs> to go to a rated R movie. Now that I can legally go to a rated R movie, of course. Anyway, I was killing time before a movie started. I had my little cousin with me. And, damn, you know, movie isn't starting for like an hour. So, like, damn, what are we going to do? So, we're already in the back. So, you, you know, just hop in another movie because that's, you know, that's what you used to do. Rip. <laughs> movie that we hopped into happened to be Saving Private Ryan. Oh, shit. And, man, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Man, let me tell you, that was a transformative experience for me and my little cousin because I actually left. Like, I actually left and I actually took him out of the movie theater and we just went to the movie theater that Blade was starting in and just waited for Blade to start. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is a mistake. You, <laughs> you know, you walked out of Saving Private Ryan and yet, I mean, within like the first 10 minutes of Blade. <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that's funny but here's the thing though even as you say that there's no comparison i mean there's honestly just... oh yeah because saving private ryan and i don't know what it was about that movie like you said we grew up watching stuff that is technically worse than this but it was never framed as bad as it was at like the beginning of that movie yeah that, that opening scene i mean you know i'm sitting there and i got my little cousin and my little cousin's like he's he's like the kid's age in city of walls he's like uh he's about like 10 or 11 at this point so you know the the whole normandy scene starts and i'm i'm sitting in my chair i'm like holy shit like and it it, it was one of those things like after i got all over my my own shell shock case my own little cheap civilian shell shock i realized that my little cousin was sitting next to me <laughs> so, oh. pried my face off the screen to look at him and you know you could imagine the expression on his face and that's what i was like ah shit <laughs> the movies we you know grew up watching yeah like it was some pretty violent shit but at the same time it was always kind of done with a little bit of a wink and a smile like you were kind of in on the joke yeah yeah, yeah. but with saving private ryan it, it framed it in this way where it just you know the guy who's like screaming for like his mom is like he's trying to put his intestines back in and it's like um can i can i leave and we actually watched that like in school for like uh, a high school thing and i was just like why are we allowed to do this <laughs> i'm like can we watch like die hard of the vengeance can we watch you know save all jackson and bruce willis defuse a bomb you know because i don't know for some reason i feel like jump off the building as it explodes behind them right like that's cool like, i don't want to see a guy who's literally like breathing his last as he's trying to put himself figured like literally and figuratively back together like that's not cool to me i'm sorry <laughs> mother like a little baby yeah i'm like oh god this is the worst and it's hater shoot to this day and i my best friend at the time was you know really big into you know military stuff and war movies and things like that so at his house we watched that movie a lot and i am sitting there covering my eyes you know poking through the two thing you know opening my two fingers to look through it i'm like i'm a grown-ass man doing this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah like to this day i still can't really watch that movie like it's just it's a little too real for me like i like my action with a little bit of humor into it i must admit i've since gotten much more callous so i'm, I'm cool with it now i can watch it without issue 
But I, I had my period where it was like, yeah, I'm not watching that again. That opening scene, I'm not watching that again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I, I, I knew I'd watch it again, but not for a while. Like, yeah, right. That's gonna. That's that was cool. You know, lost half my hearing because the surround sound in the movie theater was insane. So yeah, that's we're good. But now I've you know fast forward to today, present day. I've seen Rambo, the last one. And, <laughs> Oh, have you seen, I don't know where this online, I, I don't know who originally posted it, but it was the Rambo body count where somebody went through each movie and basically did a tally of <laughs> the number of people who were killed and how they were killed. <laughs> the numbers between Rambo 3 and the new one are, it's unprecedented the amount of people that, that get killed in that movie. Uh, the like, new it's one insane. is insane. That there's there's a, there's a point I, I, I was <laughs> I saw it Mark funny enough there's a point like we're in the movie theater watching it and I realized that for the last ten minutes I have heard nothing but gunfire like there's not even music like there's no score <laughs> in the movie it's just gunfire and explosions and I'm sitting there after ten minutes I'm like you know. <laughs> Like and normally that's fine. <laughs> I still don't have an opinion of that last Rambo movie. It was something. I don't know what exactly, but it was something. I don't know if he was just trying to maybe make a statement and saying like, "Hey, he's older, but you know he's still gonna be the badass." But yeah, that last Rambo, it just <laughs> there just came a point where I kind of checked my watch and I'm like, "Okay, he's got to run out of bullets at some point." <laughs> You know, like, there's every action movie, you know, during a gunfight, they're like, you know, they, they always do that thing where they always check the magazine, and there's only, like, two bullets left, and it's like, there's 30 guys, and then they gotta, like, hit, like, a gas can that, like, takes out at least, you know, half of them or something. There was none of that. They're just, the guns had, like, an infinite ammo cheat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was just big-ass guns chopping people up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, Stallone, like, you know what? I'll give you that one. But yeah, I don't, was there a story to that movie? There was. <laughs> I don't remember it. <laughs> there was a story. Um, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, granted, that's why I, I really loved more the second than any of the other ones. But that's why I love the Expendables, because it was like this cool little almost like last hurrah of all my favorite action heroes getting together and just being stupid again. Well, that is the, the beauty of the franchise is the fact that um, it's, it's basically in a way it's what comic fans are going through right now, too, is to say the wet dream of all those 80s action movie kids, all those kids that grew up watching all those guys. Dolph Lundgren, Chuck Norris. <laughs> and I was mad because I'm already doing like the dream team of like the later movies. I'm like, yo, they got to get like my, um, what's the dude, American Ninja? Oh, Michael Dudikoff. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I watched those movies at least like once a month. They're just, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, and what was the one guy I always forget? Cause there's a few other, like maybe lesser known action heroes that were still kind of a thing at the time. Like what's the guy, Don, the dragon Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Don, the dragon Wilson. That's another one. <laughs> wow, man. You're going back. 
Hunter Dragon Wilson. I haven't heard that name in I don't even know how long. Right? But the, after, I think, one of the Expendables, like, I went through and started doing, like, heroes that I don't remember as much. And, like, but, yeah, I started going through them. Like, who else did I run into? Then they kind of messed it up with the third because they started putting all these kids in there who had been, like, in two movies apiece. And I'm like, wait, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not, there's but so many. Like, what? They basically got everybody now. I don't know why. I don't know what they're doing now. <laughs> I thought maybe they'd get like weird third line guys. It's like um like the dude from like Best of the Best or something. Best of the Best. Oh, man. Best of the, the Best. The third and the fourth one were on Netflix. And I don't know about the first two, but I had to watch them because those movies were just so amazingly bad. I watched all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I've at least seen the first three. I can't say for after that. I'm not sure if there are any after that, but I've seen best of the best one, two, and three. That uh, I'm pretty sure there's like five of them. The fourth one's really weird because it's kind of like your standard, you know, foreign terrorist, you know, taking over. But the third one, I hadn't seen that in a very long time, and it is definitely a different movie compared to the first two. <laughs> yeah. Or like the like the preacher gets killed by like the white supremacists. The thing about all those films is uh, the way that we used to get to watch them is just doesn't it's not the same anymore. TV's not like that anymore, you know. Right. Like a lot of these movies used to just come on regular television. <laughs> <laughs> these are the movies that would come on Saturday when it rained. And that's <laughs> <laughs> when it was sunny outside. You'd never see these movies because that's the time of day they came on. And that's the worst part because I'm like, you know what? I could go out and play, which I did, but then it's like that part of me is like, well, Lethal Weapon's about to come on, and it's got commercials and it's edited, but you know you want to watch it anyway. It didn't matter. And I hate to sound like, you know, I'm getting old and, like, you know, wistful, but you can't really do it like that anymore, I guess. You know? It's just, even when they try to recapture it, it just was a time. Like, it's... You know, with, like I said, with the Expendables, they tried to do a little bit of that, but it's just not the same. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's time has passed. Things are just different now. Right. The type of stories that are being told are different. I don't know if things will ever go back to that. When you think about it, it is kind of weird. You know, a whole era where, like, action movies, just crazy action movies, just one crazier after another. Like, the more bullets, the more crazy explosions, the more, you know. It's like that's where the Transformers were born, you know. All these movies were born in that era. Right. Oh, and I'm just thinking now, I mean, we had the animated version, but I can only imagine if they tried to do something like the Transformers movies in the 80s, but under that sort of action movie filter, as opposed (laughs) to being more of like, you know, special effects adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Optimus Prime is literally like in some South American country, like gunning down cartel. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah cutting them down like rambo and it's like you know what? maybe it's better that ev- not everything was done that way because it would have been a different childhood oh yeah <laughs> or if they tried to do like a gi joe movie which i'm surprised no one thought to do in the 80s i really am i'm sure they did you know i i think with most of these things it just became a, it's just an issue of money you know money and practicality Right. I mean, they could have totally got, like, Schwarzenegger to play, like, Duke or something like that. And, yeah, he's not even American, but you know what? You wouldn't have cared. <laughs> I know you wouldn't have. You never cared before. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, even now, he plays these movies where he's, like, you know, supposed to be, like, this everyman. And I'm just like, no. All those other times, how do you care now? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, this has been so much fun. Shoot, if I knew you were that into action movies, I would have just started off with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man, I grew up on all that stuff, man. Action movies, horror movies, period. But uh, yeah, Looney Tunes, all that stuff, man, it's all in there. So, with that said, then, um, do you think that maybe at some point, like, in your own comics career, like, you would kind of do some work that would even, like, further pay homage to that sort of stuff? I would probably tell different types of stories, definitely. Uh, I guess the best comparison or analogy I would make is, like, uh, kind of the way uh, Tarantino deals with his film career. Right. He basically just has his stories that he wants to tell, and they're across various genres, and he tries different things each time, you know? So that's that's I guess how I try to look at it. Uh, just um, you know, City of Walls, uh, we're actually in the finishing phases of production of, of the series. We the whole thing is just about at the uh, done being produced, and so that's actually a big accomplishment on our side. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, yeah. So I have you know other projects that I'm working on now, and the, my next project is completely different than City of Walls. It's not. <laughs> there are no like uh, executions in town squares. <laughs> so, but, uh, then I don't want to read it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, it's it's you know. So I think it's just uh, for, like for me anyway. It's just um, you know, I'm a big Miyazaki fan, a huge Miyazaki fan, and Miyazaki isn't particularly. He's made violent films, but he's not particularly a violent filmmaker. He's made some of the greatest children's movies you're gonna see, you know. And I I really respect how he's able to cover such a breadth of storytelling where he can tell something like Princess Mononoke and then he can tell something like um, Ponyo or Totoro and then he can tell something like, you know, um, Nausicaa, you know, or The the Wind Rises. I think that's amazing. Like, that's kind of where I want to go as far as things go. I want to be able to go in different directions and try different things. I think it's important I mean, some people can do it, and I'm not knocking them, but, you know, some people can be very good at one particular style of either, you know, drawing or storytelling, and that's kind of where, that's where they stay, and that's cool, but yet, I always respect anybody who's willing to kind of push themselves into maybe doing something that's different, or, you know, like having someone like Miyazaki, who their stories were never quite the same thing, and yeah, there's certain thematic elements that you can say to yourself and point, like, hey, that's Miyazaki, but yet you're not going to get the same story every time. So that's really cool. And I look forward to whatever it is you guys got coming up next. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, we got to talk about it yet because I, I ain't do certain things, but <laughs> I gotta, I'm, trying to drop, I'm trying to drop something for it in New York. So look out for that. All right, very cool. So, yeah, I was going to say, um, maybe when it comes out, we can get together and chat about it. Yeah, Project KGB. That's what we call it. Oh, sold. <laughs> As someone who grew up in the 80s and a lot of action movies, those three letters mean a very lot. Yeah, Red Dawn. Oh, that was... Watching that the other day. (laughs) And it was funny. You were talking about, you know, your father sitting you down and, you know, putting you on to all these things. And I'm like, you know what? I always, you know, gripe at my dad for, you know, being my dad. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? If not for him, I would have missed out on so much good shit. Like, I really would have. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... I saw Seven with my pops. <laughs> that was a great memory, too. <laughs> a great memory. Oh, man. So it's Fantastic. like those uh, like those commercials you see where it's like, you know, the father and son, you know, they're playing catch or whatever. It's like, no, me and my dad were usually in the theater with where the sound was way too loud and we left the theater deaf. But yet, it was just like, it's the greatest yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But before we go any further, though, I just want to make sure that everybody knows where they can find more about your stuff online. So if you feel like promoting anything, you know, feel free to let anybody know, like where they can find your website, you know, City Walls, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, um, you can find us. You can find me and us at cityofwalls.com. That's cityofwalls.com spelled properly. That'll take you straight to Webtoon, which we are also at. That's our main home. Uh, go to Webtoon. Line webtoon, online, digital comics. Just look for City of Walls there. Um, you can find me AK. You can find me um, on, on Twitter at Standalone Pro and on Instagram at AK Lovelace. Very cool. And for everybody else, you'll hear my stuff at the end after the theme song. And once again, AK, thanks a lot for coming through. I appreciate it. Yo, man, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Anytime. And that'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues. And we will see you next issue. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors, Zamboni drivers. (sighs) point is basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture visit adrianhasissues.com where you can download and stream every episode especially the ones featuring yours truly visit adrian has issues on facebook and twitter and subscribe to the podcast on itunes and stitcher please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing i am us i mean us Ah, oh mckinney you're way cooler than i am anyway oh thanks babe Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com.